Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app around the world. And, folks, we hit another milestone. Five million people, in excess of five million people, now infected with the coronavirus. And uh, not a milestone we necessarily wanted to hit, or not, sorry, the word necessarily is probably wrong. It's not a milestone we wanted to hit. And uh, it's just, it's quite remarkable about how things have uh, continued to go. It's also remarkable about the the reaction and how things are shaking out, if you will, amongst people who are, well, amongst the way the political world is, is continuing to deal with the coronavirus. And we have all kinds of, uh, all kinds of things to talk about, you know, and how they're affecting politics. Um, clearly... Everybody is uh, in America is continuing to think about the 2020 election and uh, the prism through which a coronavirus is now being thought about is with uh, a political aim, it seems. Uh, not that saying it didn't happen before, but uh, it seems pretty clear that that's the lens. Uh, really, for a lot of people in this divided country, if you are a fan of the president, you're most likely to be interested in the economic dislocation, getting everybody back to work. And if you're not a fan of the president, you are most likely thinking that we need to pause, we need to go ahead and continue the policies of social distancing and the like and be cautious. Now, the empirical evidence itself is kind of interesting right now. And again, not an epidemiologist. I'm not looking to make any judgments that I know of. But if we look at the states that have opened right now and the expected huge spike in infections, hospitalizations, deaths that was supposed to accompany some of those states. In fact, it really has not happened. Everybody kind of had this idea. I mean, yes, the numbers are still climbing in a place like Florida. Um, I think maybe a week ago or two weeks ago when we talked, it was you know, 30,000, and now the number of infections in Florida is 47,000 with over 2,000 deaths. But it's not the mega numbers that we're seeing that we've seen in New York and the way it was spreading in New York back in late March and early April. Those numbers in New York and New Jersey were just devastating. And Georgia the same way, the first state really to open itself up, and you're not seeing those numbers uh, spike in the same way. Uh, Georgia, 39,000. I mean, we have a lot of states with, a, with, with some pretty big numbers. And I guess as customarily have done for the last couple of weeks, maybe just go through them. I'm sure these are readily available numbers. And the reason I read them off is not to just say, oh, you may not have heard them, but it's really to just assess kind of where we are and how we look at, at this. And, 
I think that we have to consider the how critical it was, the reactions back in February and March, which didn't happen. And it didn't happen across the board, um, except in the Seattle area and in Northern California, um, where the rates stayed very low, or California in general. I mean, there's no question that Governor Newsom, who clearly listened to his health advisors and his scientists, did his public a huge service by closing the state down. And I know we don't talk about closures and maybe closures don't work, but it's a, a, a state as vast as California with 40 million people. Uh, he took quick action, as did Governor Inslee in Washington. And uh, on the flip side, here in New York, Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio did not, and they did not take that action. And I will say this, that one of the reasons that Cuomo looks so good in all this is because de Blasio has been so awful. Not only did de Blasio not do the job that he was, not that he was elected to do, which is to keep New Yorkers, New York City residents safe, not only did he feud with his own health department, but he comes across as incredibly indecisive. And Cuomo comes across as very decisive. He's not always correct. Now he's wrong. He's not. He's often wrong, as we've seen from the nursing home debacle, which at this point, uncharacteristically for what he's been doing, he refuses to take any blame for. In fact, yesterday he blamed the federal government, said it was their guidance, that there, there is some truth to that in the fact that you know the CDC, etc. But it's 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 just striking how much New York just failed to grasp what was going on. Clearly, the virus spreading silently, asymptomatically, uh, through a very dense, internationally focused city. And the hardest hit really have been those who cannot isolate and don't have access to good health care. And it's extremely, it's, it's, it's beyond sad. It's, it's tragic what has gone on. And I only mention that because Mayor de Blasio is the champion of those people. At least he, he talks about himself. I mean, he talks about the two New Yorks. So he, he has this divisive rhetoric and the fact that, you know, he, there are two New Yorks and the forgotten New York and the forgotten New Yorkers and the poor New Yorkers, and he represents them. Often he's happy to say that to the exclusion of many other New Yorkers who are more fortunate. He doesn't represent them as much. And that was his rationale for not shutting down the city. His rationale was, well, that'll hurt if I close the schools. That will hurt the poor communities that don't have access to health care. They have, still have to go to their jobs that will be out of work and they can't socially isolate, etc. Instead, I mean, but I mean, from my point of view, and a lot of people's view, is wouldn't those people rather be alive? And you have an extremely deadly virus, extremely contagious virus going on, and you're forcing people to work through it. You're forcing people to go to school, essentially. You're telling them it's safe. You're, you have your one of your doctors that you listen. You don't listen to your own public health department, but you're listening 
and we've seen this reporting to his HHC head, which is hospital president who basically believed in herd immunity, that everybody would be good for a lot of people to get the virus and we'll build up the herd immunity, we'll build up the antibodies. And that's who de Blasio was listening to. Now, obviously, the guidance from the federal government wasn't all that great. And we didn't know a lot of things, and the testing was slow, extremely slow, and there's no question about that. Um, look, hindsight is is twenty twenty. It's not a cliche. It's a fact. We can look at this, and we can say that a lot of people would still be alive today had we acted sooner in certain places. But it's kind of beyond that right now, because you see, and again, I'm going to get back to the point with de Blasio and Cuomo. I think history is going to judge Bill de Blasio extremely harshly on this. And it's not just the tweet about the Jewish community, which was offensive, disgusting, and totally uncalled for. And he did another one this week, talking about closing yeshiva, which may or may not have been holding classes. And yes, that's our own fault in a large degree. I mean, our community's fault for not, in many cases, not abiding by the rules. But look at his edict with regard to the beaches. And you know, this is where Cuomo comes across as thoughtful and deliberate and decisive. He probably didn't want to open the beaches, meaning state park beaches. But he figured that he decided there's going to be regional cooperation. That means New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware. They're all going to act in concert with regard to things like beaches. Because if you don't, people will find a place to go. They're going to go to the place that's open if another place is closed. So you might have millions of New Yorkers going to the Jersey Shore if New York beaches are closed. So he opened them. But de Blasio somehow didn't figure this out, that if he closes New York City beaches, he actually wanted and was saying it's unfair. He he, he said it's unfair. I'm going to close New York City beaches, but it's unfair for Nassau County. To restri- and Suffolk County to restrict their beaches to residents because I'm going to close my beaches, but I'm going to give tell all the people that they should go to Nassau County so they can overcrowd the beaches there. It, it It's nonsensical. And this is where Bill de Blasio and doesn't rise to the occasion. Clearly, it's not a policy that's thought through. And for some reason, he felt that this was not going to create a backlash in the suburbs. I, I'm not sure how he felt that way. I'm not sure what he was thinking or what his advisors are telling him. But the funny thing is, if you want to create the boogeyman of the New York City mayor, the bumbling, hopelessly progressive liberal guy who's trying to take over the suburbs with hordes of New York City people because New York City is not competent enough to open its own beaches, and people need recreation options during the summer. They do. They cannot stay in their apartments, many of them that are not air-conditioned, throughout the summer. They need places to go. And the idea that you're going to keep the beaches closed for the entire season, you keep, I understand the pools, okay, but there's room on the beaches, and you just have to expand. You have to figure it out. That's what you do as the mayor of New York City. You figure it out. You have a lot of very highly paid people in 
City Hall around you who are paid to figure it out. And then he gets upset when Nassau County decides that they are not going to restrict their beaches to residents. And I actually, you know, immediately thought of the city of Long Beach here on Nassau County, in Nassau County, that was accessible by public transit, the LIR. And that would probably be overrun if they kept their beaches open. Uh, by New York City residents. I mean, one of the beauties of, of New York City beaches is they're accessible by public transportation, accessible by subway, accessible by the New York City ferry, um, all these options to get there. And now you're saying they're going to be closed. So again, I just think that Bill de Blasio comes across as a bumbling fool and inconsistent uh, mayor who has no ability to be decisive. I mean, it's like with school. There's going to be school. There's not going to be school. I don't know. We'll decide. Uh, Cuomo comes across and says, this is what we're going to do. And, of course, even though he has had quite a few missteps and failures, um, and is, you know, again, he did a puff interview with his brother, Chris Cuomo, this week. Um, not even memorable, not even worth talking about. I mean, one of the big issues that I talk about with Cuomo is, and is something that hits home with us, with our community, the Orthodox community, is the minion issue. Right. So the New York state has had an executive order and it's still in effect. No gatherings of any kind, any type at any location. And it's vague in its entire gray area as to whether somebody's outdoor minion, a gathering of 10 people. Yes, a gathering. But the CDC guidelines call a gathering 10 people that you could have 10 people at, at a minion. And he leaves it vague as far as enforcement, whether somebody could have. This is not an issue whether halakhically what your rub says. I'm not getting into poskating that. I'm talking about the gray areas in the law. Now people think, okay, we left it there. We left. He left it so gray and so vague um, because it's it's not really gray and vague. There's no gatherings. That means any even two people. Uh, I think he left it like that because personally, I think this is an unconstitutional overreach to say that a per people can do certain recreation acts, but they just can't gather to pray. They can't even be in the same place. And that was laid bare this week when he decided that you could, and this is this is classic Cuomo. He decides on his own, not telling anybody, not telegraphing, not, uh, it, it, you have to wait for him to say it at his daily press conference as to what the new rules would be. It's not a way I think a lot of us want to live. It's almost a monarchy in a way he's doing this just deciding on his own that this is how it's going to be. He says, well, we can have Memorial Day gatherings of no more than 10 people. So on Monday, people can come together and remember those that have fallen on Memorial Day as they should. Those who have given their life, made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of the United States of America and our freedom. And they could come together to do that, no more than 10 people. But, but, and this was, of course, the first iteration that's changed now, but you wouldn't be able to pray. You wouldn't be able to have a minion. And that that was the initial edict, which just sounds absolutely absurd. If you can gather 10 people for Memorial Day, you should be able to gather for a minion outdoors, properly social distance, masked, etc. Appropriate. Again, not talking about the rabbinic guidance as to what the thing I'm talking about legally, whether one should be able to do that. 
And then the next day, which is yesterday, Wednesday, he comes out and he says, well, we're going to allow religious gatherings. Again, 10 people. And we prefer that people do it in the parking lot. So the gatherings, 10 people, is indoors or outdoors. Outdoors, you can have more. Parking lot, drive through that would seem to be more than 10 people. Again, unclear. How are you supposed to divine what Governor Cuomo will allow and won't allow? How are the law enforcement authorities supposed to figure out what he will allow and won't allow? It's... It's not easy. How are the rabbis supposed to figure it out, how they can go ahead and do it? it, it you leave it so much gray. And again, I, my belief is that he left it this way because he knows that restricting the practice of religion is legally problematic. And the Justice Department has said that they are going to look in this, look at this in many states. And they're already doing it in other states as to um, and I think they lost a case, I think it was in Kansas this week, where the religious restriction was overturned, although I'm not, don't have that in front of me. But the issue I think that we're talking about here is that how are we supposed to continue on and figure out what the governor meant in trying to shape our everyday lives? Go back. And it's the same thing for, for businesses. The small businesses in New York are being absolutely devastated while many larger chains can open. So Target can open and Walmart can open and Lowe's and Home Depot. And they can all open. And some restaurants can open for takeout. But the smaller stores that sell, in many cases, the same things that Target does and Walmart, they can't open. And malls can't open yet in the same time. I understand malls a little bit differently. But why can't a small store open for curbside when people can go in and shop in a big box store? These rules are arbitrary, and government should not be arbitrary when they take action. Yes, it's an emergency. Yes, these things are important. Yes, we needed to slow the spread. Yes, yes, and yes. Very important, and people need to continue to be vigilant. Just like with with the minion, if you have ten people, wear a mask. Make sure that people over sixty five are not coming who are most vulnerable. Make sure that people with medical conditions that you know of are not coming. Is it worth having a minion if one person is going to get sick? Of course, it's not. Make sure that everybody is distanced. Let's just do it smartly. We've asked. We want. To have minyanim. We want to get back to normal. We want to have Shavuos that we can have a meaningful religious experience together in a more communal setting, not fully communal, obviously. And that's important for a lot of people. Now, some people will say it's not. That's their they're entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to that thing. But there are many people who find davening with a minion to be important. And after two months, and in many areas, a incredibly, incredible Baruch Hashem slowdown of the spread. This is important. And again, let's just go through the numbers. New York, 352,000 cases, twenty over almost 23,000 deaths. New Jersey, 152,000 cases. Over. 
almost 11,000 deaths. Illinois, over 100,000 cases now. Cook County, the highest population of COVID cases in the country. Incredible numbers. I mean, Illinois has just jumped up like crazy. 4,500 deaths. Massachusetts, 88,000. I mean, the, the, the infection rates continue, to, and that will happen with testing. And that's getting, you know, that there's a lot of places. This virus has, according to epidemiologists, has, has a lot of places to grow. Pennsylvania, 68,000. Michigan, 53,000. Texas, 51,000. Florida, 47,000. Maryland, 42,000. Great job there as far as slowing the spread. Maryland was on a very high trajectory at one point. Georgia, 39,000. Connecticut, 39,000. Louisiana, 35,000. Virginia, 32,000. Ohio, 29,000. Another great job by the governor there of, of taking early action, early decisive action when there were very few infections. Indiana, 29,000. Colorado, 22,000. And the lesson you got to think about from New York is many of these places are not dense. Many of these people's places do not have the public transit, mass transit options that probably led to a significant spread of the disease. And because of that, that was, you know, where it happened in New York. But because of that, many people, many people got sick. Um, and in other cases, it, in other places, it didn't spread. And even California had a huge population. It's over spread out, much more spread out. But you can't, the death rates have been widely disparate from what we've seen in the West Coast, to what we saw in New York and New Jersey. And a lot of people clearly got sick, or got infected, I should say, as opposed to sick, got infected. Uh, have gotten affected throughout the country and they haven't necessarily gotten uh, significantly ill. And Governor Cuomo talks about this being the European strain versus the Chinese strain. I don't know. I mean, uh, there's a lot um, that people are going to have to study about how this goes. So let's talk about, we talked about the Great Minion debate. We've talked about de Blasio and just being, uh, I think, a total utter disaster. The beaches thing is just in- incredible. And then, of course, he was angry when Nassau County decided to deny the beaches because you should be angry at other people for closing. <laughs> I can't even explain. The June 23rd primary is back on the calendar. That's the primary for the Democratic presidential nomination. Did you know that there was still a race for the Democratic presidential nomination? Well, there actually isn't one. I mean, Joe Biden has... Everybody else has conceded, but we're going to have one anyway here in New York because the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is is angry that they don't get to vote in a non-election. I mean, how bizarre is this? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a global health emergency, and people are still want to vote for Bernie Sanders. Uh, Jumani Williams, our public advocate, talked about how he needs to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary, even though he's going to vote for Joe Biden in the general election. But he needs he needs to vote. It's going to be important for him to vote in a non-election. I didn't even know it was necessary for us to do this kind of thing and to spend the kind of money that we're going to do to polling places throughout the state to say nothing of the risk of contagion that we have. I mean, this is supremely narcissistic on the part of some of the progressive left that they have this sense of mission to 
I, I, I can't even explain it properly without using, uh, using appropriate language here. And we see that shake out um, really throughout. I mean, the, the absolutism of the left in their total correctness. Uh, AOC had a debate last night with um, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, her primary opponent. This will also take place on June 23rd. Um, and uh, it's just incredible how AOC just doesn't seem to really... I mean, she was criticized for spending time in D.C. And basically, she said during the pandemic and during when her, you know, quote, when her district needed her. And she said, well, I wasn't feeling well. I was I had to take a couple days. That's that's a thing. I mean, that's a I take a couple days. I like to get paid for not working. So that that's essentially what she's trying to say. Joe Biden. Still in the basement. Still in the basement. And uh, a lot of people feeling maybe he should just stay there. Um, he's doing well in the polling um, right now. Poll that came out yesterday has him up. Um, but it's all going to come down to a couple states. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Same states. Florida, maybe. It's kind of unclear. Joe Biden taking a strong stand in a fundraiser, online fundraiser against annexation. That's annexation in Israel. Annexation in the West Bank. He said it will not happen. But then, importantly, he said he won't link aid to Israel to any specific policy, which personally means that he doesn't really care. You know, okay, it's rhetoric, but he's not going to punish Israel for doing just about anything. Um, I think that's a position I personally wish that he was on board. I would be happier if he that was a stronger statement, but that's probably where most of the Jewish community is, is somewhere in the middle of that. Um, I'm talking about, you know, overall. And, uh, Dr. Zelenko has decided that he is going to retire. That is uh, Zelenko of HCQ fame, hydroxychloroquine fame. This He decided that he has been badmouthed too much by the leadership of Curious Yoa, where he has his primary medical practice, and uh, that he's been slandered by them. Now, I have no judgments whether HCQ works. It doesn't work. That's not my point here at all. Um, but Dr. Zelenko, for some reason, instead of publishing findings in appropriate peer review type drill, he decided to publish findings in general on YouTube. But one of his findings, of course, early on in this was that the village of Curious Yol had an over 90% infection rate. Where did he get this data? Nobody knows. Um, perhaps he got the data and I'm just supposing because I don't know and I don't want to, I'm not looking to disparage him. I'm just pointing out things that he actually said uh, to, to hype his treatment of HCQ for people. And maybe those people, in fact, were not actually infected because there is no evidence whatsoever anywhere, whether it's the Orange County, New York Health Department or anywhere that Kiris Joel had a 90% infection rate. That would essentially mean that more than 18,000, no, actually, there's probably closer to 30,000 residents of Curious Joel now, at least 25,000, that more than 20,000 people were infected, which is just, has no basis in fact whatsoever. And, of course, he felt that he was slighted by them when they released a letter complaining and saying he doesn't represent the village. And now he is, of course, retiring because I guess he's been censured and bad-mouthed, and it's kind of difficult in a village like Curious Joel to go against the leadership and to go against the 
rabbinic leadership and the communal leadership and still have a successful uh, business uh, catering to them. So that's kind of ironic that he is complaining about that because you know he was the one who had them targeted. And of course, this led to discrimination, as we saw of very people throughout the Hudson Valley not wanting anybody from Kiris Joel or any by virtue by extension anybody from the Hasidic community uh, anywhere near them, which of course has its own issues, um, and that we get by being so visible as a people. So hang in there, folks. Uh, that's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And, uh, oh, one one last item just with regard to, in general, um, uh, President Trump uh, really going after, well, I, I want to say, I want to say this. I, I understand if, uh, I understand the Obama Trump and you know Obama's great foil for Trump, but essentially not allowing, and this has been the reporting, uh, President Obama to have his portrait hung, or not that just should not to be happened. That just seems decidedly un-American. That the two presidents' virtue, there is a the institution of the presidency, the White House, the tradition that we have that goes along with two hundred and forty plus years of of America and part of that is you know these type of ceremonies that are important for the republic to hang the picture of the former president in the white house and president trump apparently doesn't want it i guess president obama doesn't want it either and that's a sad commentary on all and it's a sad commentary on the state of the country right now so that's it here stay tuned for Jew in the city speaks with Elsa josephs mm-hmm.